can, can have an education that gives them choice and opportunity in their life is collective work and it's hard work and it's not going to happen overnight. And so everyone, no matter what you're doing out there, just needs to find some, some opportunities to take little wins as they come. The world has never been changing more rapidly, dislocating the ways we work, learn and live. On the Learning Future podcast, we discuss the knowledge, skills and dispositions we all need for our learning future, exploring insights with world-class educators, researchers, policymakers and leaders from across industries and across the world. Hello and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. I'm your host, Luca Parry, and it's my delight today to be speaking with Melody Potts-Rosevia. She is founder and CEO of Teach for Australia and is a disruptor and a problem solver driven by a vision for Australia where education gives every child regardless of their background, greater choice for their future. Melody has made it her mission to champion better educational outcomes for the most vulnerable children in Australia. And over the past 12 years, the work of TFA has helped more than 350,000 students in 220 schools and has built a community of 1,200 plus teachers and leaders who are bringing about change inside and outside of the classroom. Melody is well awarded uh, in many regards. She was awarded the Order of Australia for her service to education and teacher development in 2021, holds a Master of Public Policy from Harvard and a Bachelor of Economics from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She's originally from a beautiful part of the world in rural Appalachia and now lives in Melbourne with her husband Sam and their young son Harrison, affectionately dubbed Harry the Hurricane. I'm sure particularly in lockdowns, that's also been the case. And the lovely dog, Jack the Ripper Russell. Melody, thank you for making the time to speak with us today. Thank you for having me, Luca. I would love you, and there's so many things that are happening in our world right now. What is one thing that you reflect upon that you've learned? Uh, well, um, I've learned how to be a, a good enough CEO, mother, uh, wife, homeschool, parent, teacher, a uh, combo, um, uh, and a not good enough dog trainer. Um, uh, but something that I've also learned, this is just funny, it just happened um, just the other day uh, in all the randomness that is um, home home learning these days. Mm. Um, you can only fold a piece of A4 paper and possibly other things. I've tried it with sheets as well. Uh, you can only fold a piece of paper uh, about six or seven times and then no more. Um, I've tried it with different sizes of pieces of paper. I started with A4, but this mm. is what your your children can also teach you. Um, I, that is fantastic. And of try course, it. You know you're going to try it now, right? Of course I'm going to try it. And of course, what, you know, the underlying principle of that is the exponential. You know, that every mm. time you do one more fold, you're actually doubling all doubling. the folds that have taken place before. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. we're all familiar with exponential, sadly, now because of, Aren't we? You, know, vi- you know, dare I say it, COVID and, you know, straightening the curve and flattening the curve and all yeah. the other things we're trying to do to this curve. Um, it's wonderful, though, to reflect on the different roles that you play because, yeah. you know, you are an educator and a leader and you're also a human being. And, of course, all of us are. And mm. really the work that you've been focused on is seems to me to be trying to really do something about equity in our country and in the world. For Take sure. us into, in any direction that you choose, you know, what has been one of the big ideas that you've been trying to explore you know, over over the past decade or so? Well, over the past decade, I think the big idea is, you know, of of all the drivers of educational inequity, um, you know, you can go to the the super macro systemic, you know, power structures uh, all the way through to 
um, you know, something that is always a, a, a lovely hot topic about what is taught and how it's taught. Mm. Um, that that inherent in all of those things are people, and you know, there are great people already in our schools um, in all sorts of different roles in our schools, um, helping to teach um, the next generation. But what if there were more? And um, and what if we could really uh, both bring in the additional talent that we want and direct it to where it's needed and then work with the talent that's there um, to build more rapidly the kind of skills and mindsets that they ultimately need um, in order to, to unlock uh, learning for young people. And recognizing that all, again, happens within a, a system the way that we normally think of it with, you know, bureaucracies and departments and rules and regulations and um, and whatnot. But, but really, you know, how do we how do we ultimately catalyze leadership throughout the system Yeah, off the back of what we're building early on in their experience in it? Mm. So it's kind of how can the adults make it okay and, and make the kids all right? Um, that's sort of the, 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 the mm. interesting kind of tension and, and also challenge that we've set for ourselves. Um, and more recently, you know, all things, um, uh, you know, leading to the current pandemic and, and questions about what it's all going to mean once it all kind of settles into whatever the future holds and none of us really know yet. Um, I think asking what is the role of teaching and leading now mm. and how will it shift and will it, will the shift that it might, you know, become, you know, the role of the teacher and what is learning and what is the purpose of schooling, all those big, big meta questions but how how will that potentially shift more rapidly than we were planning for mm. it to, uh, or that anyone thought might even be possible? Um, those are the sorts of things now that that are that are keeping me a bit occupied, um, and not unrelated to the fact you know I lead an organization, so also just the future of work, yeah. how work is done, where work is done. Um, you know, those are day to day challenges right now as a as a leader of a of a of an organization, but. Um, in terms of the big macro, why we exist, mm. um, you know, are we going to be able to continue to, is, is teaching becoming more or less attractive through this work, through this current time, yeah. um, through the current pressures? Um, are we rethinking the role of education in the current time, given the current pressures? Mm. Um, is it helping to, to create more coherence and consensus about that? Or is it actually driving a wedge further apart? I don't, I don't know. Just that's some what I'm simple, about. you know, like coffee questions for us to you know, dive into. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, but you know, all these questions is really what, what we've been trying to explore as well through this mm. podcast as well. Mm. Um, you know, and, and Dr. Karen Edge from UCL recently on a podcast really spoke about the, you know, she's a, she's a researcher around generational leadership. And, you mm -hmm. know, you've got millennials now coming to the wetland and soon we're going to have, well, actually, we've, even, <laughs> we've got, you know, the generational What's shifts. What's after millennials? I feel like we're already there. <laughs> I think we're What's there. Next? Yeah, I know. I'm just holding on. I'm holding on to that. You know, it's just, you know, people's preferences for work are different. And yet one of the things is that, you know, the teaching profession itself, with the incredible impact that educators make every single day around the world, is also quite rigid. Like it hasn't, we haven't seen a real shift, whereas, mm -hmm. you know, um, Notwithstanding the fact that in 24 hours, many teachers had to put their entire curriculum online, some parts of the world, you know, 1.5 billion learners learning remotely, you know, at the, yeah. at the peak of the pandemic. I mean, these are yeah. pretty significant changes and accelerants. Um, 
Yeah, so I'm really interested in, you know, in particular your perspective on talent. Because, yeah. and, and most people listening to our conversation will know about Teach for Australia or Teach for America or Teach for All Network in the respective country. Sure. But I'd love you to share a little bit more about the model and what it, why is it, why is it interesting? Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I mean, part of in the a ecosystem. Way the, in a way, the model that 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 we that we have and and some of the questions that we have about where where it might go next um in a way it's quite simple you know um we're we're out there saying uh here's an opportunity for you to um do something that you've probably already thought somewhere in your heart of hearts you might be interested in in doing you know um and that is trying your hand at teaching and and giving something of yourself to the next generation and and so why don't you think about doing that? And really what we've done, um, which isn't, isn't rocket science, is tried to remove without lowering the qualification expectations or the, or the quality in any way. We've tried to remove some of the barriers mm. to people being able to make that choice. And for us, um, who gets the privilege to stand in front of our young people, particularly some of our most vulnerable young people? Yeah. Um, is something we should care a lot about. And so um, we get the opportunity to have lots of conversations with people um, about what their motivations and desires are um, and whether uh, the schools and the children with whom we work would be the right place for them. And then we get to construct a way for them to uh, start to teach and, and, and start their journey of becoming a teacher mm. uh, concurrently, you know, in an employment-based model. Uh, that lowers the opportunity cost for them to make the switch. Um, and through that, what we're also building is a community of people that they belong to that also, they're very diverse, mm. but they're all kind of motivated by the same question of how can I bring my full self um, to facilitating the, the learning and the ultimate kind of full realization of, of, of others, of young people. Um, and, and how can I do that in a way that increases equity and, and choice that these children will have in their lives um, because it's not a function of who they are but a function of their circumstance. Mm. So that's really the kind of glue that binds this kind of this mission, this esprit de corps. Um, but, but the model itself is actually quite simple. You know, you, you come in, um, you do some initial learning, it's about 20% of a master's degree, and then you spend the next two years in an employment uh, within a school that we've helped to broker so we've mm. got partnerships with schools, partnerships with obviously um, candidates uh, and placing into vacancies. And then we build that community around them that's a, a huge component of support. We also support them in other ways. Uh, we have teachers who go out and observe. Um, we invest in the mentors within the schools to upskill the mentors. And that's a gift that keeps on giving. Any other novice teacher that comes in, you know, gets the same sort of benefit from, from upskilling the, the in-school mentors. Mm. Um, and uh, over time, what we hope to build is a community of our alumni who stay on in the classroom, and the majority of them do. I think the current stats uh, from our, our survey this year is 70% of them are still teaching. Um, another 18% are still active in what we would consider mission-relevant work. So they're right. either in departments of education or they're in education nonprofits, or they're at the Grattan or wherever, mm. you know, mm. um, trying to help kind of um, shape the system of the future. Uh, and so that's a pretty good retention rate, 88% overall in teaching, or in education, 70% mm. overall in teaching the majority of those in still low-income, rural, regional, and remote contexts. 
mm. where they were where they were placed. Um, and that community of alumni at the back end uh, is is also part of what we're trying to to ultimately gift into the system. Yeah. Uh, and then where we take this next, you know, that that model works. It's been going now for, I think we've just um, closed applications for our thirteenth cohort. Congratulations. Um, but where we go, where we go with it next, other ways that we can make it um, uh, flex to the needs of schools and um, to increasingly diverse cohorts, uh, and other ways that we can think about some of the other capabilities we've built to work with even more teachers. Mm. Um, those are some of the exciting questions that we're grappling with now. Wow. Oh, so many, so many potential directions. I, I want to take us into the role of teacher conversation, yeah. which is a kind of meta concept as well, because yeah. you know. One of the great questions that we always reflect, you know, is a great interview question is how do you think learning happens? It's a great question because it reveals a bias to us mm. as educators, you know, and are we kind of, do we have a more transactional view? Do we have more of a learning architect view? Are we a constructionist? Whatever the case might be. Yeah. I, I think deeply about the role of teachers and if it's even feasible in this modern world of rapid accelerating converging technologies, driven by Moore's law and the VUCA world, you know, all these, all these conceptions. Like how, how might the role of an educator, clearly we need to raise the status, continue to raise the status of it, um, in Australia in particular. You know, the just a teacher comment needs to be removed forever from the vocabulary of Australians. Okay. Um, what do you, what, what's your current, you know, deep inquiry about how the role of a teacher shifts because this kind of transaction or even kind of the directive role, which is still critical, uh, mm. it becomes increasingly impossible in a world of unlimited information. Um, mm. Yeah, how do, you, mm. how do you see that shift taking place? I, I mean, oh, I don't know if this is the right answer. This is just how my brain works. Um, but, and I don't know if anyone's got the, the ultimate answer, but yeah, that's right. I... Yeah. I, 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 I love the word and, um, mm. and maybe, you know, I'll just say this and then if we want to come back to it, can, we can leave it. Um, I think one of the things that I find just so maddening in education is the kind of contest of ideas that quickly becomes a contest of ideology that then makes it all or rather than and. Yeah. Um, so how I think about the role of a teacher is um, is kind of that it is a number of things concurrently. Um, at the end of the day, I think it's a relationship. I, I really do believe that first and foremost. Um, my life, my ability to, you know, have done what I've done and to have, you know, um, achieved whatever I've achieved and, and to be able to have chosen to live my life on a completely different continent than yeah. that which I was born, you know, is, is because I had... Um, a number of great educators, but a, but a few with whom the relationship made me see something in myself that I maybe didn't think was possible mm. or helped me maintain motivation when I felt like giving up. Yeah. And, and it was at a critical juncture. So, you know, people who come into your life at that critical moment, and, and for me, you know, obviously loving family, lots of other protective factors, but the the power of a teacher and in, in, in the relationship and the trust and the seeing, I see you, yeah. you, not your grade, you, um, I think is, is, is paramount and first and foremost and not, 
every teacher needs to be that for every child, mm-hmm. you know, but you need enough teachers yeah. <laughs> so that most every child gets an opportunity to at least have that once. Right. Mm. Um, so I think teaching and the future of teaching will always be relational. Um, and, it, and if ever it isn't, we, 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 I don't know what that says about us as a society because it's yeah. always been us. Yeah. Um, and, and as humans, we're, we're social beings. Um, mm. And I think lockdown and isolation and everything has, has proven just how much that is true mm. um, to, to, to our healthy functioning. Um, I think that teaching is also about um, information. And I think your question about the fact that there is lots of information um, and that it could be at your fingertips, um, uh, readily available, um, is true. But I think it's about making sense of that information and being able to scaffold and build, um, you know, uh, content on itself. Yeah. And so I think that there's lots of opportunity. It's the wild west of ed tech right now. I <laughs> mean, whoa. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I think the role of a teacher um, as still having a role to facilitate learning of content is not something you want to see replaced. Mm. But it can certainly be augmented very, very well and actually can start to give gift to teachers time. Yeah. Time. That's, that's the power of ed tech in my mind. Like, can we gift teachers time back? Um, and I think that's going to probably cause some interesting conversations amongst certain populations of teachers about um, uh, how time is currently spent and, and are you willing to kind of give over to some sort of, um, you know, LMS type of world with mm. differently, you know, curated, more global kind of content, um, uh, a little bit of the uh, initial instruction so that you can then go deeper. Mm. Um, that's, that's it. So I, I think teaching is still information slash content uh, um, and, and helping to make sense of, of that so that, so that you can build. And then I think the final thing that, that um, teaching in the future will be is, um, and, and this is a challenge because there's always these conversations about the different roles that exist within schools as they currently exist. You know, you've got your careers advisor, you've got well-being, you've got all these other roles. But I do think it's almost a little bit of a, a guide, you know, mm-hmm. helping helping kids start to to really grapple with what they value and what they want their life to 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 mean and and where they could go next. Um, and it doesn't mean that the teacher is responsible for the future choices that a, that a child and a young person might take. But I do think that um, if you can give them the time to ignite the passion of the content, if you can build the relationship, then kind of the inevitable thing that flows from that is. Um, is that you know they're they're a bit of a guide for young people about where they could where they could go and who they could be in yeah. the future, and that's a really awesome thing. Oh, Melody, just I mean, it's actually quite. I mean, it's this is quite an emotional thing to reflect upon in some ways. When we think about the people in our lives that have actually shaped us or inspired us or shifted us, you know, our family members, our educators, our teachers, uh, like. Isn't it a tragedy when we have young people that can't point to those people for them? Yes. I think as you've just said so powerfully, it's not that every teacher needs to be that for every child, but that 
every young person deserves you know those people who believe in them that see them was the word that you used and and see them fully and wholly for who they are not just for their achievement or not just for a particular role uh and so you know where you as, as where you started the idea of people being kind of the central part of education and that's why it's just so fascinating and rewarding to work in it because it's a human system yeah and it's also the, the most difficult thing about it is that it's it's human beings the whole time. It's not a spreadsheet, you know. It's yeah. dynamic and emergent. I kind yeah. of joke sometimes, you know, that um, teaching and 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 I always think of teaching as an act of leadership, and so teaching and leading, you know, both yes. both which you know are are kind of in a, in an educational educational context. Um, that it's rocket science, mm. and in a way, it's not because if if you think about rocket science, and I'm not an engineer, so all the rocket scientists out there, I apologize for butchering your very hard won knowledge. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's kind of technical, right? Yes. Like, in, in other words, there's rules. And if you follow the rules of physics, then you can kind of solve for it if you're if you're clever enough. Um, but the degree of executive functioning, mm. the, 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 the just constantly nuanced decisions um, that, that you're taking almost on autopilot, you know, um, if you're a really great teacher and if you're thinking about the relationship, the content, um, the 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 learning objectives, um, and you know when you get the moment, uh, the kind of the kind of opportunity and future that you're helping um, to make possible for young people, like that's a lot to hold. Yeah. And and um, and so we we joke that teaching is rocket science um, uh, because of just you know the fact that we like to think that rockets are complex. And yeah, I love that melody. Um, um, my favorite reflection on this is that teaching isn't rocket science. It's far more ooh, difficult than that. Good point. Yeah. It's far enough. more difficult. You know, actually. I think we're saying the same thing. <laughs> we yeah. are. Absolutely. Oh, and uh, um, I want to pick up your earlier point around the contestation of ideas and how we kind of end up in these ideological battlegrounds between synthetic phonics and whole language or between curriculum reform and, you know, another review what in your experience and, and your from your perspective is the opportunity that we have to go beyond, to get to this and or to this both and world? You know, it really does seem like a, it, needs, it needs to be some kind of transcendence or some depth around a universal principle of human growth and development. And the, the one thing I want to put in the space too is I'd love your your view on what the framing for that could be for us in education because it does seem in my from my vantage point an opportunity with the field of social emotional development or soft skills, the future of work, you know, and well-being, learning or achievement. There comes seems this convergent happening from, you know, fields like the effective neurosciences, for example, as well, that are saying actually, yeah, emotion and cognition are really totally interwoven. Mm-hmm. Let's put them back together. Mm-hmm. How do, yeah, this is a really, this is a deep question, but yeah, what do you think? Yeah, and you possibly know more about it than, than than I do. I mean, the thing that I just keep coming back to, and I had a colleague actually who shared a beautiful story, which I'll um, share on and try not to butcher. Um, the thing that I keep coming back to is just what serves the kids? Just what serves the kids, yeah. you know? And, and so the science of learning serves kids. Mm. So does inquiry. You know, and 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 so I think it's 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 rather than trying to have these arguments about exactly what should be um, uh, what should be 
given primacy and never nothing other than that. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's something, I, I, I don't know if, if that is a, a unifying question or, or kind of principle or not, but if we know that phonics, for example, can um, really, really help kids and universally help most kids, then let's do it. And then let's introduce rich novels. <laughs> do they really have to be? Either or, like, honestly, does that, I'm a parent. I want my kid to know phonics because it helps them spell and it helps them, you know, um, have pride in being able to decode and start to read. I mean, he, he, yeah, anyway, early on um, uh, when, when he finally got the hang of it through, through phonics, just the pride that he had Mm. um, was, was like, was heart wrenching. You know, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it, but but does, does, does he need to also be able to dis- discern what a word means when it's in context and, it, and, and he can decode it, but he doesn't know what it means? And so, of course, he does. He needs to be able to um, create meaning out of context. All these things are important. So let's teach teachers how to do them all. Yeah. Right? Mm. Let's make sure they all got the right skills mm-hmm. so that they can serve all the kids. Mm. It's, it's, it's just that simple. Like, we, I think we just we like to make... And I know, I mean, if, if maybe if I was um, more rooted in a particular philosophy, uh, then 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 you know maybe I'd want to argue my point uh, from my from my little corner of the ring a bit more more forcefully. But I just am such a pragmatist. Like in mm. all things moderation, if the science tells you, you know, if the science is saying the relationship, um, the 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 emotion, the emotional regulation, and the learning, the cognition, all go together. Well, let, let's take that. And mm. let's do both. It's not beyond us. What's what is the? Am I wrong? I no, you're course you're not wrong. And I think I mean, I put that example there because I think it's a great example of a false dichotomy. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it has to yeah. be this encompassing, like systematic, you know, complete whole approach that has all of the component parts within it. Otherwise, we are not serving mm. the interests of young people as powerfully as we could. Um, I think, um, but but this question of you know we we've just redone our values within Teach for Australia, um, and the core value that we have is serve the students, and um, mm. we have other values that hang off of those that for, for that kind of sit around it, but that that's at the core. Um, and a, a colleague of mine was telling me uh, about um, the Maasai in Kenya who. Uh, you know, are known historically for being very fierce warriors uh, and part of the greeting that they give, they have a, a series of things that they say when they, they meet each other. Um, and one of the questions that's part of this kind of routinized cultural way of greeting um, is, and I'm not going to say the, the, the words because I'm, I'm not going to say it pro- appropriately or properly, um, but it's, um, are the children well? Are all the children well? How are the kids, you know? Yeah. Um, and I just, yeah, like love, I love the, I love the story um, mm. uh, and, and you know, the, the kind of meaning that would sit within that about the importance that a society is placing on its yeah. young people. Yeah. That that's part of, hi, Luca. You know, I how's it going? Yeah. And and are how are are the children well? Yeah. 
it's so gosh Molly, that's super that's really profound and this i really think the questions that we ask ourselves are what reveal our value sets in societies mm-hmm. in schools in classrooms and you know i know it's a bit of a cliche now but really it's it's are we asking the best questions possible rather than what's the simplest answer um, I mean, again, at false dichotomy, both of those things are great. But, you know, I feel that we just still have not yet got the balance right with focusing on deep questions. I mean, that that question means that there's a success metric, there's an incentive um, for that society to keep the children well. And, I mean, I'd love your reflection on this. The more time that I spend in education, the more drawn into other domains I am, places like economics and ecology, and because, again, it's, everything is just interrelated in some powerful way. And I feel like the influence of the, the kind of the economic models on our education systems is so pervasive that it feels like we need to do multiple things at the same time. We need to shift beyond the current incentives that exist around success, for example, you know, um, you know, this, earlier this year, we had two very successful traditional model uh, billionaires go to space. I love space. Space is fascinating. And yet, if there were, you know, another species were to come and visit us and they'd look at the way that we are distributing, the way that we are, fo- what we are focusing on, they might ask the same question like, well, are the children well? Well, no, they're not, but check out my rocket, you know? So. <laughs> I'd love, I'd love, you know, because you, you've got a public policy background as well as an education, you know, insight. So what do you, and, you know, you spend a lot of time in this economic world. I'd love your insights as someone that's better read than I on the intersection between these two worlds. Because I feel like it becomes a narrative that drives our work in education, which is success is achievement only. And I, I'm, I'm pro-achievement. But I feel that, it, again, it cleaves away so much of our human experience because mm-hmm. we narrow and we don't see learners as who they truly are anymore. We just see something that they create. And that's yeah. often, it's too often within a, a, a narrow frame. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I, I, I feel like <laughs> the, the questions that, you're grappling with and and the fact that it does take you it takes you into sociology you know mm. anthropology it takes you into ecology and um and and clearly into economics and you know the economics kind of came out of philosophy actually um uh if i remember my studies uh back in the day um and and uh and it's it's only i think modern policy because governments which are built off of social contract with with yeah. the human population that they that they serve, most governments, um, clearly not in Afghanistan, um, but, but most governments uh, in the world, democratic governments, um, you know, there's a, there's a sort of underlying kind of social contract. Um, and therefore the, the sort of um, things that they put in place have a, a, a set of values premises um, around what is an individual Mm. entitled to or protected from and then uh what is the, the the rest of society sort of owed and um and then how do the resources that government ultimately um gets usually through a tax base uh how do those get distributed um and almost always the 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 prevailing principle um for those choices 
is um, for for things in social policy, right? Health and and um, yeah. education, um, policing, etc. Those sorts of things um, are almost always on a kind of utilitarian basis, right? Um, and those are that that's there's a lot, but <laughs> there's both a philosophical underpinning for that mm. and um, a, a lot of conjecture as to exactly um, how you weight people's happiness. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and so what's helpful about those models is that it at least allows you to try and size and scale. I and mean, when you're talking about scaled stuff, right, um, it, it helps you to try and kind of make at-scale decisions um, and allocations. But then inevitably things that are big don't mm-hmm. suit everyone the same. And so this is one of those things where, you know, I, I know you're involved in, in the question of like, well, what's the future of ATAR and what's the future of, of how we measure success for young people at the end yeah. of their years of schooling? Do we even keep the same number of years of schooling? I mean, you can keep peeling that onion with all <laughs> yeah. sorts of questions. Back to first principles, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and and I think the, the reality is like we do need a, a system that allows different models um, for different learners, for different preferences, for different flourishing. Mm. But we also need to balance that with a system that enables scale because public education in, 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 in its, in its um, uh, universal kind of provision needs to ultimately provide. Yeah. And, and so we've got this kind of competing tensions and balances um, and, and at the end of the day, you know, the money's got to go around somehow. And so, I mean, I find the premise of your question, you know, how do I think about it? You know, what are the policy considerations? Um, you know, it really does come back to well, what's the social contract that we've we've built with, mm. with you know, governments um, predominantly, um, whether it's a public school or a still government-funded non-government school. Um, you know, what, what have we what have we said is the expectation that we have of what schooling is ultimately going to deliver. And I think that the current moment provides us a real opportunity to re-ask that question of ourselves. And I don't think, again, it's going to be an or, it's going to be an and. We're still going to want achievement Mm -hmm. um, as a, as a proxy for my child learning the things that are going to help them build Choices in future in their in their future, mm-hmm. but I'm also going to want education to, um, as my child's school does, you know, uh, help them also think about mindfulness and mm-hmm. connecting inwardly. What we have to then accept if we're going to say it's and, is the balance of values that we're then asking a a, a school to help build in our children that's maybe a bit beyond what uh, we've historically thought the role of school was. We'll then have to resource it a bit differently and we'll have to allow a different level of choice for parents because the the more you get into the other bits of of a child, of who they are, not just what they know, then it's a different contract between the the family and the value system that the family has and the value system of the school. Mm. And so... It, but I think it's a perfect time to stop yeah. and say, well, what is the purpose of education right now? Um, 
given that all of us are getting a lens <laughs> into it in some way, it's Absolutely. probably different than how we had it before. Um, that's, that's, a, yeah. that's a beautifully thought out answer, uh, Melody, and you know, finished by a question as well, which is uh, fabulous. Yeah, that was a beautifully thought out response, Melody, I have to say, and of course finished with a question, which is, you know, what a school for. And there is something about this moment where parents are closer to the learning process in many parts of the world than they've ever been before because they're actually witnessing it and supporting it in different ways. And, you know, there's lots of hypotheses about what that could mean. Uh, I would love you to close us out with what's a take-home message from our conversation that's kind of ranged from what's the role of a teacher, like what's the future of teaching potentially, you know, what about the intersection about, you know, the philosophy of what schools are for, uh, as we're all trying to work in this kind of ecosystem that enables, really enables human flourishing, or whatever language we want to use around that, depending on our particular um, preference. What's your take-home message for, for us all? Yeah. So I, I think I have three. Um, the first is um, if you're if you're if you're steeped in the world of education, um, uh, then you know do do your best to look for the and um, or whatever kind of position you you might be coming into the conversation from. Like look look for the and. There's some beauty in that. Um, and if you're not steeped in the world of education, um, don't be hoodwinked by headlines. Um, you no. know, to try it, try and, and make your make your uh, make it a little bit of a side passion project to start learning about differences of opinions. And then I think what you're going to start to see is that actually um, there's a lot of truth in all of it. Uh, my second thing would be, how beautiful would it be if this, you know, Maasai, um, and I'm sure there are other um, examples, Congress examples in other cultures. But, you know, this, this idea of are the children well, you know, being kind of um, at the core of, of what we value as a society and, and even how we start to think about engaging and saying hello. You know, I think of our, our, our um, commitment to reconciliation as Australians and, and the kind of protocol, the diplomatic protocol that is, um, you know, acknowledging yeah. uh, the, the lands uh, where, where we are um, and, and the tradition and the culture that, that's been here for a long, long time. What if we then extended that one step further, as I know, you know, um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures do, to then say, you know, are the kids well? And then the third thing would be, just because I'm self-interested and I can't help myself, you know, the 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 opportunity um, to come and either work or 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 get into teaching through TFA, um, we're we're always interested in talking to folks. Um, we we see this as uh, a collective effort. You know, I mentioned our values earlier. Um, the core value is serve the kids. The next value is have high expectations of what should be possible for them. The third value uh, is make it happen. Um, the the fourth value is um, get there together because we can't and won't do this work alone. So the invitation uh, to to any listener to make contact because uh, we, we don't want to be doing this work alone. We know we're not doing this work alone. And then our fifth value, just to end on it, um, is to celebrate along the way. And, um, you know, the, the work of trying to ensure that all children, regardless of background, 
can can have an education that gives them choice and opportunity in their life is collective work and it's hard work and it's not going to happen overnight. And so everyone, no matter what you're doing out there, just needs to find some some opportunities to take little wins as they come uh, and, and celebrate along the way. Wow. Melody, thank you so much for the work you do and for sharing some of it with us today. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Luca. Thanks for listening to the Learning Future podcast. To find out more about our work, drop into thelearningfuture.com and follow us at Learning Future on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Here's to building a world of thriving learners together.